This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Welcome to the Toys R Us report. He's the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark, so that you can know your left from your right. He's your host, Icy Robots. Greetings, Earth people. I am from Jupiter. It is me again, Icy Robots. I am not a hero, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less weak. Let's give it up. Uh, let's get up to the boondocks this week. We got a lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun stuff ahead. We're going to talk about a meeting I had with a real-life Hollywood celebrity. We are going to induct the next movie into the five-star movie hall of fame. It's a movie known as Jackie Brown. We're going to talk about a toy I bought. We are going to do all kinds of fun stuff. Got a new song for you here. Let me start. All right. Hit it. You got stuff? I got stuff too. I got a Nintendo 64 and a PlayStation 2. I got an Atari 2600 with over 2600 fat games. And I got over 2600 death rhymes to drop on over 2600 whack lanes. Step back, numbnuts. You are listening to the Toys R Us Report, the world's most dangerous podcast. Well, we definitely are that. There is no doubt about it. The world's most dangerous podcast. The show known as the good old Toys R Us Report. This, this past week, I have been away from the moon base. As you guys all know, there has been, there has been a fumigation effort up there. The, the station has been, the station has been overrun by, uh, moon rats. They are, they're roughly like, I don't know, like six inches long and they have a tail that's, you know, four or five inches. They glow in the dark. They are a glow in the dark blue. And if they bite you, wherever they bite begins to glow in the dark and then also falls off after a after a few days it was a thought that I would only be away for like a week you know Emily and iceberg and them they're still up there they're you know clanging and banging and keeping the station going they don't have to worry about moon rats they are made of a uh, they're made of vibranium and that's you know rat proof as far as I know so they're up there I'm down here and it's kind of kind of a bummer it's uh it's paid time off you know it's paid time off and that's good but uh it gets boring after a while, and I've just, you know, I've just been doing stuff, just kicking it, doing whatever, but, uh, I got a, I got an email from Emily the other day, it turns out that our, our man A.B. Silver has been trying to get a hold of me, trying to set up, like, a, uh, like, a meeting, like, an in-face meeting, or a meeting over, you know, like, one of those, uh, one of those deals where you all talk and you all hear each other online, I, I don't know, like, a Google party, I don't, I don't know what you call it, I don't. I don't engage in such shenanigans, but he's been wanting to, he's been wanting to do that, and he, he called, he left a message, and she was, she was nice enough to turn it into an mp3 file and email it to me, let me, 
let me play that for you guys, and then I'll, I'll be right back after that, and we will talk about what, what this guy has to say. Let's check it out right here. All right. Hello, I see robots. I have been trying to get a hold of you for a week now. I hope that you aren't mad about those video cassettes I blew up. You have to understand, sometimes you have to blow something up as a symbol to the pirates that I am trying to maintain their way of life. It is important to them to sometimes be destructive. It is their culture. You wouldn't want me to be insensitive to another's lifestyle, would you? At any rate, I will make it up to you when we finally get the chance to meet face to face. I hope that if you are avoiding returning my call that you can now feel more comfortable about doing so. I have a very important matter to discuss with you. Oh. Check this out. It's quite strange. Just the other day J5 and myself were having lunch with, boy, George over at No Booze. George said to say hi to that girl who answers phones over there. The one named Emily. I don't believe I know who that is. He says that they are friends from way back. That is super weird. But I guess it is a small universe isn't it so please give me a call this is a time sensitive matter all right amigo i have to go and meet with my interior designer we are transforming the former interrogation pit into a safe spot where everyone on the ship can go and where bullying is not allowed goodbye so that that is super weird on so many levels i guess i guess it turns out that emily knows boy george I, I've talked to her like a million times over the course of my life, and she's never once like even mentioned that that she knew Boy George. So that is weird. I'll have to I'll have to ask her about that next time. Next time I see her, wonder wonder what that was like though. A B Silver, Johnny Five, and Boy George all having lunch at Nobu's, getting getting sushi at Nobu's. Super weird. Also, that's weird that he's putting an anti-bullying safe spot on a on a pirate ship. I guess. I guess they have feelings too, and they don't want to be bullied. But uh, that doesn't seem like it's in line with with the cultures, as far as far as I know them. But uh, you can see AB's trying to change things up over there. I guess more power to him. Um, I'm gonna have to get back to that guy. I just I don't really want to. Uh, I don't. I'm not the kind of guy who likes meetings. And while well, I am like I'm really curious what what he might want. I um no, I'm in no hurry to get a hold of him, but. Uh, I will do so at my at my earliest convenience. Let's see. What else is what else is going on? Oh, this is what's going on. This actually happened like a couple weeks back, but we've been, you know, we've been away from the bays and such and all that whatever, but I did I did kind of touch on this on the last episode of the pretentious podcast that I do with uh that I do with my good pal Zerb. I talked about this for a second, but I'm going to I'm going to give you, like, the long, detailed version. This is the version for the uh, listeners of the Toys R Us report. The, the true heads. So, they have this thing in my town called the uh, Cult Film Series. It's every other Thursday at the theater, at the downtown theater. And what they do is they play two movies, like, like back-to-back for ten bucks. They play, like, older flicks. The, for example, this week they're having Office Space followed by Clerks. That's actually... That's actually like a really good combo there. I think that I think that Office Space is a very important film. I would give that the highest recommendation. It's a good comedy, and I think it works on a works on this other level about showing you showing you a way that you can lead your life that's a bit different than the way that you may be leading your life already. I think that I think that that movie and Fight Club 
were like the indicative movies of that era. The two most important films of that smudge of time, Office Space and Fight Club. Anyway, they had a, uh, what I would call an amazing presentation the other week on the cult film series. They were going to play Jackie Brown, which is, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, I'm inducting it into the five-star Hall of Fame this episode, so you know that I hold it. I hold it in the highest regard, and they were going to play that, but then, like, right afterward, they were going to have a Q&A with the, the, uh, top supporting actor in the movie, in my opinion, a man known as Robert Forrester, Forrester, who plays the role of Max Cherry, the bail bondsman in the movie. Max Cherry is, like, far and away my favorite character in the movie. When this movie came out, the... The wife and I, you know, we were together and stuff, and we we have always been film buffs. Her and I have always gone to the movies together. She works at the movie theater, too. We go rent movies together. We've always just, you know, spent a lot of time watching, talking about, and enjoying movies. And this was one that we, like, we bonded over this movie. Like, our love of this movie was, like, like a bond. And we loved the romance between Max Cherry and between Pam Greer's character, Jackie Brown. It was just... It was just great, and then we saw he was going to be there at the movie theater doing a Q&A for, for Jackie Brown, and this was like, this was like unbelievable. This is like a dream come true, and we, we were determined to go, even though it was, it was on a school night, but we had to go do it anyway, and the way that everything came out, it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been more perfect if we would have planned out every step like we were like we were like a uh, Kobayashi in the uh, Usual Suspects, you know. There was no way this could have come out better. We got a we got a bad jump to the theater. It took uh just took us longer to get started than it usually does, and we had to stop and get something to eat. I was hungry, so we we hit up Mickey D's. I got a I got a, a McChicken, which I don't normally do, and every once in a while, a McChicken's pretty good, man. They they're not like my everyday favorite, but every now and again, they are. They are pretty decent. One thing that you can do that's kind of that's kind of decent too is you can get yourself a McChicken and you get like a salad, right? And then you take the uh, patty off the McChicken and you dice it up and you throw it in the salad. That is that is a nice, not so much healthy, but somewhat healthier McDonald's uh, option. We've only gone to the cult movie like like a few times. It's on a Thursday and they they start at like an inconvenient time as far as uh, as far as the wife getting off work and getting us there on time. It's just a bit convenient, inconvenient rather, but one thing that we have determined in going there is that it's not like a sellout situation. The The theater is not going to sell out. They do it in Theater 12, which is the probably the biggest uh, movie theater in the county. I don't know how many seats it has, but this is this is the big Bama Jamma. This is the one that they'll play Avengers or Star Wars when when they come around, and they, they do the cult movie series in there. So this is like a zillion seats, so I, I don't worry about a sellout. So we... We were nearing like seven o'clock when we were getting there, but I, I wasn't I wasn't sweating finding a seat. I just I, I felt like there would be one because this was Jackie Brown on a Thursday night. But uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But we were getting there like near seven o'clock, and when we you know we got there, we got our tickets, and we went in. It was it was maybe like five after seven. All right, and we go into into the lobby and like standing right there. In sweatpants, holding a giant movie theater soda, is Robert Forrester. Forrester. His name, I've always said Forrester, like he works in the forestry business, but it's Forrester. And 
I, I walk in there and there's, you know, is Mr. Forrester. He's standing, he's standing right there and he sees us looking at him. And when he looks over, he sees us looking and he looks over at us and he starts walking toward us. I'm not, I'm not even making that up. The dude starts walking toward us and, you know, we start walking toward him and I'm like, wow, you know, it's really nice to meet you, Mr. Forrester. My name is, you know, Isaac Robots and blah, 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 blah. We shook hands and we just, uh, we just started talking. We were talking about like normal everyday stuff. He's like, oh, you know, I just got into Santa Rosa. We had a, we had dinner at La Coco's. Have you been there? And I said I hadn't. And we talked about like where he was staying and what was going on. Just like, just like we knew him. It was, it was terrific. And then uh, Neil, Neil Perlmutter comes out. He is, he's the dude who is like the theater liaison for the cult movie series. The cult movie series is really like, it's like Neil's baby, I would say. He created this, and he and he and the wife go way back. The wife worked at the United Artists Cinema with us, but then she also worked at the other chain, the uh, Santa Rosa Entertainment Group, which is, this is the Dan Tacchini Theater chain. They are the one, they won the local war. They ran the UA out, and now they have this theater, UA6, which is now the $3 theater. They got the airport theater. They got... They got a ton of theaters around here, and my wife used to work for them, and then she moved to the, the UA, but she knew this dude, Neil, from his days, you know, back at the, back at the theater, and they just, you know, they go way back. My wife's a friendly person. She's nice. People like her, and she sees Neil, and she's like, oh, hey, Neil, you know, she gives Neil a hug, and we're all standing there talking with Robert Forster, and it was just like, it was like this crazy moment. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how well this event had come out. Like, I was hoping, you know, to see the Q&A. Maybe get a chance to, you know, give him a handshake. And here I am standing here talking to him like we're all, like, old buddies. And, you know, we we separated because uh, Mr. Forster was going to use the elevator. And I didn't, I don't know, man. I, I didn't want to, like, didn't want to see, like, I was on the tip. So, so we, you know, we separated and we went up the stairs to, um you know, go get ready for the movie. And when we get up there, there are... There are, like, a few people milling about, and I, I didn't want to go in yet, because I was, I was a bit pumped, you know, like, having this nice conversation with this, you know, cool guy who I've seen in, like, in, like, so many movies. It was really great, you know, I was really, I was pumped, I was stoked, and we're standing there, we're talking, and out of, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I, I see somebody over that I think might be somebody I recognize. I don't want to... I don't want to break kayfabe, you know, I don't want to, like, give away a lot of the details about this, but we have a, we have a local creature feature show that we watch every week. It's like a hosted, a hosted horror movie show where there are three characters and they all, they're all people, you know, but they play, like, you know, off-the-wall, like, horror movie characters. There's, like, a girl who's all, all weird and, like, the host is, like, supposed to be, like, this washed-up rock star and they have, like, a very, very taciturn butler, you know, they're, they're playing roles. It's all, it's all in good fun and I enjoy it a lot, but I... I saw one of the characters of the creature feature, like, out of costumes, you know, and we, uh, we went over and chit-chatted with them for a bit, and that was fun, too, because it was like, I don't know, man, it was like seeing a wrestler without their mask on, like, the person was, I don't want to give away any details, you know, but, uh, the, the person plays, like, a pretty heavy character on the show, and, like, seeing them in person acting like, a you know, just like a normal nice person was a lot of fun, and that was, um, that was all cool, too, and... Then when we're upstairs, like, milling about again, you know, Robert Forster and Neil come out of the, uh, they come out of the elevator, and Mr. Forster, like, comes up to us again. He, like, comes up to us and starts talking to us again, and he goes, 
hey, have you, uh, have you had the chance to meet, uh, William Lustig? And I go, what? I'm just like, William Lustig? And I, I start running the database. The name is like, it's somebody, it's like, it's a name that I've heard before, and I know this name, and it, it starts like bouncing around in my brain, and I'm just like, he is, he's a film director. He's like a horror film director. It turns out that the movies he directed in particular are the Maniac Cop series, but he also directed a movie called Vigilante, which came out in, I believe, 1983, and it starred Robert Forrester, and... He starts telling me about how, you know, he uh, met William Lustig when they did this movie Vigilante and that they've stayed, uh, they've stayed friends ever since and that if it wasn't for William Lustig, he would not, wouldn't be in Santa Rosa and that he was the guy who put it all together and that, you know, he wanted me to meet this guy too. And I'm just like, this is insane. I'm thinking to myself, who does Robert Forster think I am? I'm just like some weird dude hanging around a movie theater lobby and he's taking me around and introducing me to like... His, uh, influential Hollywood friends. This is, like, one of the, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. Then, you know, Neil comes over, and we, uh, we start chit-chatting again. And I'm looking at my watch. It's, like, 20 minutes after 7. The, the feature should have started a long time ago. And we're, we're standing there for another bit. And I suddenly, I remembered that I, I brought something with me. In case I got the chance to talk to, uh, Robert Forster, Forster, after... After the Q&A, and I'm like, oh, excuse me, I, I don't want to impose on you, but, like, would you, would you mind signing this? It is my personal VHS copy of Jackie Brown. This is the one that, this is the one that me and the wife got on a POV, is that what it is? No, that's point of view. It is a previously viewed PVV, uh, it's a PVV, a previously viewed VHS. I believe, I believe that's what we called them at the, at the Bradley back in the, back in the video game. So, I pull out the tape, and I pull out a silver pin that I had, and dude was, dude was nice enough to sign my tape. I got it, uh, got it on a shelf right over there. This was, this was an amazing moment, and then, then, you know, I kind of, like, I glided to the side, and uh, I'm talking to the wife about how, about how crazy this all is. I'm just like, can you believe this? It's like, we just came here, and, you know, we're all, we're standing around, like, with all the cool people, like, we're cool, too. And she's like, you are cool. You're Icy Robots from the almighty Toys R Us report. You're just as cool as anybody. And I'm like, I can't believe you said that. That's the single nicest thing that anybody has ever said to me. And that's why I married her. She's a real sweetie pie. I don't, I don't say that enough. Uh, that's it, though. That was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I met Robert Forster. I met this character from Creature Features. And everybody was nice. I met William Lustig. He was super duper nice. And then we saw Jackie Brown. And it was just as great. As the first time I saw it, the crowd was, the crowd was into it, man. They were laughing at the right times. They were having a good time. It was great. Then, then Robert Forrester did Q&A, and he is a true gent. He told a bunch of fun stories, and it was all fun in the hood. We don't say that enough. All fun in the hood. It was all great. Had a great time. Let's move into the next segment of the show, which is known as At The Movies. <laughs> In a moment, at the movies, without Ebert, Siskel, or even that dude Roper. But you got Icy Robot, so that's something, right? You let the whole galaxy down. I don't get it. The prophecy said if we activate the Sordis Crystal inside the temple, we could destroy Sun Snatcher. Perhaps there's a lesson here, Brixby. When solving for x on a one-dimensional plane where minus one, by the magnitude of one, equals minus x, always solve for vector r. Goodbye! 
That's it. Hey guys, James here. Um, first of all, episode 34, volume 25. I put the recap up. That's it. So um, there's already a great comment section there, and I recommend all of you guys go check that out immediately. That's it. Please be better. Not a cinema near you. Probably not. I'm just going to start off this review by saying that I like Brigsby Bear a lot. It was completely original. It was unlike anything that I have seen before, which when you see like a million movies a year, that's not something you get to say a lot. This movie was, this movie was good, man. This movie was something special. Let's immediately, immediately hop on over to the tomatoes and we are going to see what, what they have to say. We're going to see what the people who've come before us have to say. And we're going to use that as a way to light the path ahead of us. The movie info is as such. It's hard to explain what the plot is. It's it's difficult. It's not like a complicated story, but it is hard to hard to define. Let me let me use the movie info here to give you give you like an idea. Brigsby Bear Adventures is a children's TV show produced for an audience of one, James. When the show abruptly ends, James's life changes forever. He sits out to finish the story himself, and he must learn to cope with the realities of a world, of a world he knows he knows nothing about. And that world is our world. The story of James is as such. He's kidnapped as a baby from the hospital by by Mark Hamill. It's always nice to see Mark Hamill. Always nice to see Mark Hamill in in a movie. He is a toy inventor in the in this flick, and his wife his wife for whatever reason wanted a baby. They don't get they don't get too in depth into it. When the when the story starts, James is he is already an adult and the the family lives out in the desert in an underground bunker. They they never go to the surface. They tell James that the that the surface world is is poisoned and that they they get their supplies and stuff from supply drops and in every supply drop there is a new cassette. A new VHS cassette of a show called Brigsby Bear. And Brigsby Bear is the only entertainment that James gets. It's like, it's like a fanciful tale of a bear in some kind of like magical world. And then one day, one day James's world is like thrown up in the air when he's rescued by the FBI and sent back to live with, live with his real family. And it's weird for him because he's out there in the world and like... Brigsby Bear is the only thing he knows. His clothes are like Brigsby Bear t-shirts. He has Brigsby Bear sheets. And in the real world, there is there is no Brigsby Bear. Mark Hamill had been off at a film studio making this show exclusively for James. He used the show as a way to like teach him life lessons and like to, you know, get him to follow the rules and stuff. The show is weird, man. It's wild. I would I would like to have seen more of that. Here is Here's a clip that the studio sent us. They were nice enough to share this clip with us. It's just going to give you like a vague idea of what the what the Brigsby Bear show is. Show is all about. Brigsby, hear my call. You must wake up, Brigsby. The Sun Soldiers have taken me hostage. Help! <laughs> the Whistles are here. Let's sing the song of hope. Ready? Until our next adventure, remember, it's okay to question the world around you, but you probably won't find the answers you're looking for. Bye! There's magic and wonders and mystery. See, 
that was pretty wild stuff. And when James gets out into the real world, he he feels like a real loss at not having Brigsby Bear in his in his life anymore. What what he needs is like what we would call closure. And the way that he finds to get that is that he needs to he needs to himself film the finale of Brigsby Bear and. Through the love of his family and through the love of his sister and some some friends that he meets, he sets out to do that. This was a real earnest, real heartfelt, real sweet, very original movie. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Sadly, it only played for one week at our theater. And in talking to, you know, people like Vic Sage and like my bro DPC, I find that like... It's not even really playing in areas that they are. So keep your keep your eyes peeled to the, you know, the VOD on your cable or on your whatever it is that you use to use to view movies. I myself, I get VHS down at the video store. I head over to Joe Video and I rent up some tapes, you know. And when when I see this one out there on tape or on Laserdisc, maybe maybe beta, I'm definitely going to check it out again. I may even go as far as to purchase it. I Enjoyed it quite a bit, and if you get the chance, go go check it out on the good old-fashioned Source Magazine mic meter. I am going to give Rigsby Bear a nice, solid, nice, solid 3.5 mics. 3.5 mics. No more than a few times a generation, a film proves through the power of repeat viewings that it has stood the difficult test of time and become a time-honoured legend. This is the IC Robots Radio 5 Mic Movie Hall of Fame. Welcome to the IC Robots Radio 5 Mic Movie Hall of Fame, the, the fabled hall where we where we take a movie that has earned the highest honor possible, the the coveted five mics, and we, we hang a plaque, we let people know, we let people come see the greatness that is held within. And this, this time around, we are going to be taking a look at a Quentin Tarantino movie, a movie we talked about earlier, a movie known as Jackie Brown. I love me some Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown is the story of a of a 40 plus year old stewardess named Jackie Brown who is she's on the last legs of her career and she realizes without without a big score there might be nothing out there for her. So knowing that she has been transporting money and drugs across the border for a gunrunner named Ordell. Pam Greer plays Jackie Brown. Of course, Ordell is played by Played by the great Samuel L. Jackson. You also have you have Robert De Niro. You have Robert Forster, who we talked about earlier. You have you have Chris Tucker, and you have the the always fun Bridget Fonda rounding out a cast of what is a terrific flick. The movie Jackie Brown came out in 1997. It was Quentin Tarantino's follow-up to the fabled. The fable Pulp Fiction, the movie that was so powerful it kept the kept the Cottontown cinema in business for many moons after it came out. This was this was his follow-up, and he based it on a book called Rum Punch by the by the great Elmore Leonard. The the movie runs for 154 minutes. We just we just saw it in the theater the other week, and I will say this when 
when we were going in, I'm just like, you know, this movie is long, and sometimes a long movie is daunting, and I was, I was feeling a bit of trepidation about that, you know, considering how many times I've actually, actually seen the movie, but I was really anxious for that, for that Robert Forster meet and greet, so I was, I was ready to tackle it, but in sitting there in the theater, in one, in one sitting, I'm going to say the movie does not play long, there are not any wasted minutes in it, it's all... It's all good. It was, it was produced by Miramax, the famed, the famed Miramax. It had a budget of 12 million and it earned 74.7 at the box office. You would definitely have to consider that a success. If you threw 12 bucks into a pot and you pulled out 74, you would, you would be pretty stoked. According to the, the fountain of wisdom known as Wikipedia, after completing Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino acquired the rights to three Elmore Leonard novels, Rump Punch, Freaky Deaky, and Kill Shot. Initially, he wanted to, he wanted to shoot Kill Shot. That was the, that was the favorite of his, and he was going to push uh, Rump Punch off on one of his, one of his cohorts. Maybe Eli Roth, maybe, maybe somebody of that ilk. But then when rereading Rump Punch, he, he really fell in love with it. And in adapting it, he decided to, decided to change the ethnicity of the main character from white to black, and he changed her name from Jackie Burke to Jackie Brown. He was, he was a bit scared that when he, when he had to tell Elmore Leonard about these changes, that maybe, you know, maybe Leonard would, uh, would flip a lid, but nothing of the sort happened when he, when he found out about it, you know, he wanted a copy of the screenplay, and he read it, and he's just like, this stuff is terrific, Quentin, you are, you're a genius, I love it, this is probably the best the best adaptation of any of my books of all the times. The the movie is it's reminiscent of like early black exploitation films, the the kind that you know Pam Greer came up in and the kind that you can tell just just by the kind of movie Quentin Tarantino makes that he is that he is a fan of and he wanted he wanted Pam Greer in the movie. He had he wanted to work with Pam Greer since since the days of Pulp Fiction. He had her come in and read for the role of Jody. Jody is she is Eric Stoltz's girlfriend, the the one with all the piercings. But he he did have her read and he did want to work with her. But he didn't feel that it was plausible that you know some kind of Dingleberry like Eric Stoltz could have somebody like Pam Greer as his girlfriend. And not only would he have her as a girlfriend, but that he would have the temerity to yell at somebody the the likes of Pam Greer, it's just, it's too implausible, even for a movie like Pulp Fiction, but he, he contacted her directly for Jackie Brown, she was, she was who he had in mind when he, when he sat down, and having seen this movie like 18,000 times, there is nobody out there better for the role than Pam Greer, and this movie had a really nice effect, there was like a bit of a, uh, bit of a Pam Greer renaissance. I remember seeing her in like Jawbreaker and a bunch of other, bunch of other flicks right after this. And that is, that's a great thing. Pam Greer is a Hall of Famer in her own right. Let's, uh, let's take a quick pause right now and check out something cool I found in the, uh, VHS vault. It is, it's a bit of the Siskel and Ebert episode where they reviewed Jackie Brown. Now let's see if I tell on you. I walk. If I don't, I'll go to jail. Uh-huh. I want $100,000 in an escrow account in my name if I'm convicted up to you or put on probation. Now, if I have to do more than a year, you pay another $100,000. 
Another key character in the movie is a bail bondsman played in a wonderful performance by Robert Forster, who combines understated professionalism with all the weariness of a man who has spent too long doing a job that discourages him. Possession of unregistered machine guns. Now, they're going to consider that a violation of his probation. Michael Keaton and Michael Bowen play a federal agent and a local cop who are on Jackie Brown's trail. She sees through them, too, and sets them up as part of her complicated scam, which is designed to save her life and steal the money. You ever seen him sell a gun? No. How do you know he sells a gun? He told me. Besides, why else would an ATF man be after him? The film is rich with sharply observed characters, including the gunrunner's girlfriend, played by Bridget Fonda, and his ex-con buddy, played by Robert De Niro. Uh, 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 here we go. AK-47, the very best there is. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every mother in the room, except no substitutes. Okie doke, we are back. Man, I, I miss me some Siskel and Ebert. They used to play Siskel and Ebert on our uh, local TV channel, KFTY TV 50, every weekend, like Saturday and Sunday. And it was, it was like a regular thing to me. It introduced me to the idea of like film criticism, the idea that you could like decide for yourself whether a movie was good or bad. I think that I think that as a kid, you kind of just go to a movie, and a movie is just a movie. It's not necessarily good, it's not necessarily bad. Maybe it's good, but it's mostly just like something you did and something you saw, and watching Siskel and Ebert got me into the idea that you could you could just like watch the movie and analyze what you saw and decide for yourself what you what you thought about things, and at any rate, they, they mentioned uh, Robert De Niro at the end of uh, the... At the end of the clips there, and he plays Ordell's, uh, you know, best pal. Well, I wouldn't call him best pal, but he's best pal in the movie, and, well, I would call them friends, but, like, crime mates, like, criminal friends, and that role was initially offered to Sylvester Stallone, uh, according to Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if, I don't know if this is, like, a real thing, or if this is, like, a whatever thing that he's just saying later because it sounded cool, but that's a, that's an entirely different movie, with Sylvester Stallone in there. Not to say that it's a better movie or a worse movie. It's probably a worse movie to be to be honest. Cause De Niro did really good in that role as that uh that uh schleppy guy. I was also reading that Robert Forster, the the aforementioned Robert Forster, Max Cherry, the bail bondsman, he got the role because Tarantino had wanted to work with him for for a long time, you know, Forrester has quite quite a uh, history in grindhouse cinema. And he was a dude that Tarantino had wanted to work with. He auditioned for the for the role in Reservoir Dogs of the dude who is in charge of all the Mr. Colors, you know. He's the one who assigned all the all the names to him, the Mr. Pinks, the Mr. Browns or whatever, the the bald-headed guy with with the gruff voice. Hear your names. Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Why are you Mr. Pink? If you get picked to be Mr. Pink, it's not as bad as you think, man. What we learned last week is that uh, pink is one of the top five colors of all the colors in the universe, dude. It's like Brett the Hitman Hart's favorite color. And some dudes out there love Brett the Hitman Hart. I myself am not one of them, but uh, let's get let's get back to Jackie Brown. At the first go-around, Tarantino had wanted Robert Forrester for that role, but then, you know, he decided to go another direction, but he told Forrester, look, dude, 
I'll have something good for you in the future because you're great and I want to work with you. And the and the thing that he had for him was Jackie Brown and it, it worked out great. This was this was good for him. It's interesting to think how the leads of the movie are two people that Tarantino was trying to trying to make good to. You know, he wanted to wanted to make good to Pam Greer because of his slight with Pulp Fiction, and he wanted to make good for Robert Forrester with his slight from Reservoir Dogs, and it works out great. Let's, let's like briefly touch upon the plot of the movie in case, in case you haven't seen it. I figure you have seen it. It seems like going in that just about everybody has seen Jackie Brown. It plays on, plays on TV all the time. It's on cable all the time. I, I bet if you went to like your on-demand thing right now, you could find it for free on some channel, I don't know, like Fox movies or FX movies, I don't know, one of those, one of those kind of gimmicks, I actually think that it is playing on Netflix, so it's available to everybody, and I figure, like, being a Quentin Tarantino flick, rather, that everybody's seen it, but in case you haven't, Jackie is 44 years old, she is a stewardess on a fourth or fifth rate airline. She's at the, she's at the end of her career without a lot of options, and she has been working, running drugs and money for, for Ordell, not large amounts, just, you know, she'll sneak some money into Mexico, or sneak some money out of Mexico in her, in her travel bags, but then she gets caught up in, like, a, like a sting operation with Michael Keaton and his, his other FBI partner, and they, they try to get Jackie to flip, and Jackie decides to go into business for herself. She she pretends like the flip is going on, and that she's going to, you know, go down with the FBI, but all along, she's planning to get over for herself and take the money, and it's more, it's more complicated than that. There's, a, like, a nice romance angle with her and Max Cherry, the bail bondsman. There's a lot going on, like in any Tarantino movie, and like in any Tarantino movie, it has, you know, twists and turns and plots and great dialogue and all kinds of fun stuff. Let's talk about the soundtrack. This movie had a terrific soundtrack, like a Quentin Tarantino movie is, is want to do. Do you remember the, the sensation that the Pulp Fiction soundtrack was when it first came out? Man, people were all over that, and I gotta say, I played it the other day, and I don't think that it holds up as well as the, as the Jackie Brown soundtrack. The, the Jackie soundtrack has all the cool, like, soul and R&B songs, and the, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack has all those Dick Dale, like, surf guitar songs, which are, which are cool, but by this point, they are, they are, like, madly played out to death. When I, I made, like, a, uh, playlist on my, uh, Google Music with all the, all the Tarantino soundtracks and stuff, and I found myself running over to skip over, like, all of those surf guitar songs, and I skipped over, like, none of the, uh, Jackie Brown tunes. Let's see, let's, uh, let's hop on over to, well, I got my CD over here. Let's, let's hop on over to the CD and read what's on the back. You got Across 110th Street by Bobby Womack, that's a great song. You got Tennessee Stud. By Johnny Cash, you got Street Life by Randy Crawford. That song is terrific. You got a, uh, you got Pam Greer herself singing "Long Time Woman." That was that was really great, man. I heard that song on the, on the soundtrack for the first time, and I'm like, who is this? Who is this songbird who is singing this? And it turns out it was uh, Pam Greer herself. I'm a long time woman, and I'm serving my time. 
take one last break, and we're going to listen to a listen to a scene here between Pam Greer and Robert Forrester, and they are talking about some uh, some vintage vinyl that Pam Greer has laying around her apartment. Do I hear some music? Sure. Huh? You know, I couldn't wait to get home last night and wash the jail out of my hair. Looks nice. Thanks. You never got into the whole CD revolution? Oh, I got a few. But I can't afford to start all over again. I mean, I've invested too much time and money in my albums. Yeah, but you can't get new stuff on records. I don't get new stuff that often. In closing, I don't know that I have to make, like, that hard of an argument for Jackie Brown to be into the Five Mike Movie Hall of Fame. It is a Five Mike movie. There's no way around it. There are many movies in the world that come out. There are many movies that come out every week, and not every single one will achieve the excellence that that Jackie Brown has brought. The, the thing that separates a four-star or a four-and-a-half-star movie from a five-star movie is is time. A movie that's like four stars today, if, if you start watching it and you start feeling it and it gets into your heart and it gets into your soul and your mind and all that silly stuff, it becomes to you a classic, a personal classic, a five-mite classic. And Jackie Brown... Jackie Brown has done that. When I saw it, I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I saw it again, and I thought it was better. And I thought it was... I thought it was fun the third time. And then I saw it again. And before you know it, the the wife and I are quoting lines of the movie back and forth. We have favorite scenes that we talk about all the time. And that's what, uh, that's what separates a four from a five in Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown has that. So without, without a lot left to say, I'm just going to go... Jackie Brown, you have achieved that which many others have not. You are now in the Five Mike Movie Hall of Fame. Please drop by supportthereport.com and consider becoming a show patron for as low as a measly dollar a month. It's the right thing to do. You've made it this far. It's time. The final segment. The Icy Robots Radio Pop Culture slash Toy News slash Other Boring Stuff Informational Moment. All right, we are back for the final segment of what has been, in my opinion, a pretty terrific show, man. This has been been a super great episode, and I hope that... I hope that you've been enjoying it so far. So, the good news this week is that we picked up a new Patreon over at uh, patreon.com or supportthereport.com. He's a fellow who goes by the name of Joe Nobody, and I want to send a big shout-out to him and say thanks, and that we massively appreciate the kind words and the more-than-generous support, man. It uh, warms my heart. And if you want to if you want to join Joe over in the coolest club in the land, you can hop on over to supportthereport.com. There is exclusive Patreon-only content. There's a bunch of mixtape shows I do with music and stuff, and there's, like, a bunch of, uh, bunch of episodes of Real Wisdom, the show where I talk about movies and stuff. I guess 
Every show is a show that I talk about movies and stuff, but Joe, nobody, big shout out to you, big thanks. Let's, let's see what's been going on in the world of uh, things and stuff. Uh, I have been watching What Would Diplo Do on Viceland. I know that Diplo is like a, it's like a music producer. He produced some like Katy Perry tunes. He has some solo tunes. I don't, I don't know. The show itself is... It's pretty funny. It's like a fictional account of Diplo's life with Diplo being being played by James Vanderbeek of Dawson Creek fame. I like James Vanderbeek and this is a this is a good showcase for his comedic talent. The dude is a good actor and the dude is funny and as I understand it, he is writing and he's also producing the show with with the support of Diplo. The show portrays Diplo as like a kind of like a well-meaning clod. Like, he's a bit of a dummy, but he always, always thinks positive, and he tends to come through in the end. There was an episode last week where he was, he was given the chance to throw out the first pitch at a baseball game in the Dominican Republic when they were on tour, and he showed up late, and the coach is like, the coach is angry, and he's like, you know, you missed a pitch, but what do you want to do? You want to bat? You want to hit? You want to go? And Diplo's like, sure, I'll go, and he goes up to bat, and... And he strokes a single, and then he's like, I'm going to steal second. And he steals second, and then he scores from second on a on a single. It's just kind of like the way that things go for him. He's well-meaning, and things always work right, because he has this, like, just super positive attitude. And it's, uh, it's a bit egotistical, but it's also a bit funny. And I really, I really enjoy the show. It's on Viceland. If you have that, I would, I would recommend checking that out. I've also finished with The Defenders. I I liked it. I thought it was fun. I thought that it was cool. I I have some beefs, minor beefs with the with the actors in the show. And guess what? It's not with Iron Fist. I think Iron Fist is all right. I I dig it. I think that the there's a lot of like negative feedback toward the dude who plays Iron Fist in the show and I think that he plays it like he's kind of like a laid back bro for the most part until you Till you get him going, and then he just kind of starts popping off. And I dig his, uh, like, laid-back bro kind of thing. But that's kind of like a stereotype of this reason, region here, uh, Northern California. We really appreciate the laid-back bro. Being a chill bro is considered a pretty high-level compliment. And I think as such, I'm very immune to, like, Danny's attitude. It's like, it doesn't bother me. He seems fine. But the dude who, uh, the dude who gets on me a bit is the fella who plays Luke Cage. I am a big Luke Cage fan from, like, from, like, way back. And I see that the dude who is playing him in the show is, he's very laid back. He is very much also a chill bro when, in the comics, Luke Cage is... He's always outraged, and he's always angry about something, and I think, I think this might be it, and you might want to bear with me for a second here. I think that in real life, if you take a, if you take, like, a black character, and you make him all angry all the time, and you make him just, you know, enraged about everything, it comes across like a negative stereotype that people don't want to permeate. So I think that they may have tried to go, like, the complete opposite, to where he doesn't get upset, he's very chill, he doesn't like to fight, he likes to help, and he's a positive guy, but he hardly ever gets upset in that outraged way that the comic character do. The comic character was based on more of a, more of like a black exploitation style character. Everything, 
everything to him is an injustice and everything gets him angry because in reality, when it comes to him, it's like most things are an injustice and he's right to get angry, but that's how he reacts. Whereas the fella on the TV show, he reacts in just like a very calm, level-headed way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I would like to see him, I would like to see him show some fire. And it could be that... This is very early in the career of Luke Cage, and by the time we're reading him in the New Avengers and all these, all these Bendis comics, it could be that the injustices over the years have built up and built up and built up to where he can no longer contain it. He can't be that chill bro anymore. He has to let it loose. He has to verbalize it. And where we're seeing him at now, he's not at the point where the pressure cooker is going to burst. I don't know. I would like to see more fire from Luke Cage. And there is Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones is one of my favorite comic book characters that there has ever been. I I started reading her when Alias first came out. I have every issue of Alias. I have every issue of Jessica Jones. I dig her. I dig the comic book character Jessica Jones. And I also, to a degree, dig the TV character Jessica Jones. But, um... In the world of Hollywood, in the world of Holly Weird, I think that, I think that my least favorite actress of all is Mae Whitman. And I think that my second least favorite actress that there has ever been is probably Kristen Ritter. And she does fine with the role, and I get what they were going for with it, but she has just always gotten on my nerves. I don't like her work, I don't... I just don't dig her, and there is, like, some kind of a weird punishment being sent out to me, having my favorite character being portrayed by my second-to-least favorite actress. I don't know, but she does a fine job, and people seem to dig it, so, you know, what am I to say? The other day, um, Ferg, from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, he posted a bunch of, uh, McDonald's styrofoam containers on his Twitter for me to check out, and I was, I was pretty stoked, dude, that was a good collection, seriously, if I had... If I had all the ones that he had, I would be pretty pleased. But as far as I recall, I don't think that he had a filet of fish, did he? I don't think that he did. He may have. If he did, and I'm saying he didn't, just please accept my most sincere apology. But I totally appreciated seeing those. That was great. What else? Oh, I got up on the uh, the Marvel legend that I've been looking for. Hela from the Thor Ragnarok series. This character is... um. This character is played by one of my favorite actresses of all the time. It's not Mae Whitman. It's not Kristen Ritter. It is Kate Blanchett, and she is the big baddie in the in the flick. She's like the goddess of death, and she has these giant antlers. She has this helmet with these these spooky black antlers, and I I really dig the design. And I've been looking for the figure, and I found it. I found it at Target. I am very pleased with it. It was it was a day full of toy hunting. We started off at the Walmart over in Windsor, and then we headed to the Target. On uh, Santa Rosa Avenue, we hit up the Toys R Us on Santa Rosa Avenue, and then we zoomed around down the highway to Kmart, didn't find it at the Kmart, and while we were over there, we went to Kohl's, just, just cause, Kohl's has junk every once in a while, that's where I found, that's where I found the uh, Sabine Wren that I was looking for many years ago, so I, I do kind of got it on the list, and then we went over to the, uh, the other Walmart in Windsor, and then on the way back, we're just like, Maybe we should stop at the Target in Cottingtown Mall. And I I was like asking and the wife said, yeah, we could do it. Let's go. Let's we'll check it out. So we went over there and that was where I found it. I was pretty stoked. I found her and I found Lady Thor. So my uh my Marvel Legend collecting is over for the 
for the immediate right now, it's a nice figure. She comes with a sword, a a bit of a flimsy sword. I had to uh, I had to hit it up with a uh, hair dryer to like straighten it out. And she also comes with a with a spare head. She has a spare head that looks just like Kate Blanchett. It's a uh, it's a nice figure. Check out um, icrobots.com. I should have should have some pictures that I took of it up there by now. I just posted those just posted those Batgirl figures. And speaking of Batgirl, when I was at Toys R Us, they have they have started stocking the uh, Funko Batman 1966 figures. The ones that are. They're smaller, they're like reaction style with like one, two, three, four, five points of articulation. They had King Tut and Mr. Freeze. I really want the Batgirl in that set. Like, I want it super bad. It's the Von Craig Batgirl of of the early days of my life and my early lusty life. I I want this figure something bad, but they they didn't have it. What? else? Is there anything else? Oh, next week on the show, we are going to have one of our biggest shows of the year. It is the second annual IC Robots Radio Summer Movie Awards. There will be, there will be stars from shows all around the universe. There are going to be guests. There is a special musical performance by Iceberg. It's going to be a hoot, but I thought before we get there, maybe I would just run down the nominees so that you would have Something to think about in the upcoming week. So, we have five categories on the show. We have Best Summer Horror Film, Best Summer Comedy, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actor, and Best Summer Films. These are the nominees for the Best the best Summer Horror Film. It comes at night, 47 Meters Down, Annabelle Creation, The Mummy, and The Beguiled by Sofia Coppola. And then, in the category of Best Summer Comedy, we have the... We have The Big Sick, which was directed by Michael Showalter from The State. We have Baywatch, Logan Lucky, The House, and Brigsby Bear, which we just saw this week. And then in the Best Summer Supporting Actor category, we have uh, one movie. One movie ran away with this whole category. We got John Hamm from Baby Driver, Kevin Spacey from Baby Driver, Jamie Foxx from Baby Driver, Mark Hamill from Brigsby Bear, and Danny McBride from Alien Covenant. And then... In the best actor in a summer movie category, we got Gal Gadot for Wonder Woman, Andy Serkis, War of the Planet of the Apes, Joel Edgerton from It Comes at Night, Tom Holland from Spider-Man, and Kumal Nanjani from The Big Sick. I got this. It's on a piece of paper. You can hear it rustle about. And then in the best, the best summer movie category, we have Baby Driver by Edgar Wright, Wonder Woman by Patty Jenkins Dunkirk, by Christopher Nolan, It Comes at Night by Trey Edward Schultz, and Spider-Man Homecoming. It's going to be fun. We got Gino Vega from the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast is going to be reading an award. We got Ferg, Robert Ferguson from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. He will be presenting Carlos Perone from GeekFest Rants. We got Zerb, Kevin Zerb from Zerbinator Land, and uh, finally, in an amazing return to the world of broadcasting, we got, we got Vic Sage and the Haunted Projectionist from... Saturday Frights podcast from the Retroist, from just like every cool thing out there. We got a musical performance by Iceberg. Engineer Emily's going to be there. This is going to be one of the biggest, if not funnest, if not greatest shows of just, I don't know, just forever, I guess. I think that's about it. I think this is a show, right? I think that, I think that we're in the end. So make sure to hit us up on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash IC Robots, I-S-E-E-R-O-B-O-T-S, like I am. Viewing some robots off on the horizon on Twitter. That's at IC Robots on 
Instagrams at IC Robots. You uh, got some merch, got some shirts, got some stickers, all kinds of stuff over on Redbubble. You can find that on the on the right hand bar of the homepage at icrobots.com. So I'm gonna sign off. This is episode one two nine for me, Engineer Emily, the instant over in Pod B, Iceberg, AB Silver, everyone else in the universe. If you don't know, I know. Recorded live on Jupiter's moon, Callisto. This has been an IC Robots radio production.